The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Super excited to be able to share the word with you as we kind of wrap up this series here. Um, before I do that, though, I, I would like to make a few announcements just to kind of keep you informed of some things that are going on in the church, um, some things that you'll need to know about. First of all, uh, coming up on April Fool's, which I don't know if it's a trick, I think it's real, uh, is man camp, okay? It's, it's kind of fitting that all of the men would gather together on this national holiday and make their way to Antelope, Oregon, and uh, ride zip lines and do really foolish things like they're young men. So uh, it should be pretty amazing. Make sure that you get signed up for that. Again, that's with Acts 29. And so there's a whole bunch of other churches. Ends up being a huge gathering. Guys, if you've never been on this trip, I, I went last year for my very first time. It's at the Washington Family Ranch. And, and I have to tell you, probably the, the coolest playground for guys on the planet there's a zip line into a pond in the middle of wintertime. That's pretty amazing. Um, there's a giant swing that hangs on the edge of a cliff, and they, they tow you up with a cable, and then you swing out over the cliff. Uh, there are go-kart tracks and um, a couple of half pipes, including a foam pit. If you like to skateboard, you can, you can go down the half pipe, launch into the air, and land in a foam pit. Uh, I actually cracked a helmet last year. I broke a helmet there. It's pretty amazing. So... Fellas, what I'm saying is, this may be the last time of your life, but it will be the best time of your life. Uh, don't miss out on that. Also, coming up, um, there's a men's morning Bible study that starts February 4th. That's this week. Um, this coming Thursday, the time is from 6.30 to 7.45 a.m., and that's going to be being led by Pastor Jeff. So for you fellows that have been looking for a way to get plugged in and, and meet with other guys and have some fellowship, this Thursday morning at the Hub, that's our office, just down the way right here, um, you'll, you'll pass it on your way out of the parking lot. It's a great place for you to get uh, plugged in, you guys. Also, um, Milestone One. Remember, we, this last fall, we unrolled our Milestones program which is a sort of plan for families and for family discipleship beginning at birth and going all the way through graduation. It's sort of looking ahead at the, the full spectrum of where families are developing and, and assisting and giving aids in the discipleship of, of children during that uh, entire progression at different seasons of life. So our first milestone, which is parent-child dedication, has an orientation coming up. And that is on February 20th. It's a Saturday. It's at 10.30 at the Hub. So you want to make sure that you get a hold of that. For those of you who, have parents, who are parents who are wanting to have your, your child dedicated, wonderful. If you want some more information about that, you can pick that up both at the info table. And then also um, in the kids' wing, Brent has a, a, a little card that's got all three of the milestones that relate to little people um, and the schedule of when those will be taking place. Fourth announcement is this. Um, on the weekend of Valentine's Day, on Friday night, the high school group will be getting together to, uh, to do dating games. We've been in a series where we've been learning about dating as Christians and, and love and romance and how does that work with our, our faith and how do we let God guide that process. Well, 
that Friday night, we're, we're going to have a bunch of games that sort of celebrate the idea and then our concluding teaching that goes along with that. So that's coming up. Get signed up for that at the info desk or online at our website. Now, that's our announcements for today. We're going to dive into the scriptures. I'd like for you to grab your Bibles real quickly and open up to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And as you do that, it's okay to keep your eyes open, but I'm going to pray. Lord, we are guilty of being too familiar with you. As a matter of fact, God, uh, Sunday gatherings like this can, can easily fall into routine that requires no sacrifice of the heart, no drawing near, no intentionality. We can simply go through the motions, but God, we don't want it to be that way. And so, Father, we pray right now that you would send the Holy Spirit to awaken our senses, to give us an ear for your voice, that even as we're talking about the things that go on here in the gathered times as a church, that you would minister to us truth that is life-giving, perspective-changing, that is empowering. And Father, I pray that you would awaken us to the very real sense of your presence. That you would oversee and orchestrate our time for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus, amen. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, and this is going to be where we camp for our time today. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In the King James, it says, Guard your heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Guard your heart. For the last few weeks at Heritage, we have been talking about having a healthy church. Matter of fact, I love the analogy that Jeff has used and and repeatedly stated over and over again that, that there's a difference between healthy being defined as we are disease free. I'm not currently sick. I'm not dying of something. And healthy in terms of being fit. I love that analogy. It is one thing to say, I'm healthy and mean that I'm disease free. It is entirely different to be healthy in the sense that you are training hard and that you are fit. So it's within this context of of being a church that is fit that we aim to increase our health in this coming year. In the first teaching in this series, Jeff began by making a statement for us. He said, a healthy church communicates. A healthy church 
communicates. Now during that teaching, Jeff shared all the amazing things that God has done through the ministry at Heritage in the last year. From teaching, to outreach, to missions, to benevolence, to baptisms. We all got a glimpse for a moment of our investment in the kingdom of God and and what it is that Heritage is actually doing. And I think that you guys know this. I I think that you understand this. But just for the sake of clarity, I want to just reiterate this point. Heritage is not a place to just attend services. It's not a place that we just take in teaching and grow fat in the head. What we want to grow is healthy in the heart. Now, it's funny because, you know, being a part of the board of directors and, and the par- pastoral staff that's here at Heritage, I can sometimes have a tendency to kind of just put my nose down and just keep plowing ahead and not really look around as to what is actually going on. But, but in this teaching that Jeff gave where he, he sort of summarized all the ministry that's been done in the last, the last year, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed at the grace of God at what he has done through our church. I love being a part of a a body of believers that is living out their faith, that is actively pursuing Jesus and being a part of his kingdom. It's so awesome to be a part of a body that isn't just content to be attendees at a weekly service. This church is fully invested It's invested in planting other churches, building a church for our brothers and sisters in Uganda who couldn't afford one. We bought their property. We built a church. And God is continuing to do work in Uganda through the ministry that takes place right here in Medford, Oregon. That's awesome stuff. It makes my heart swell with praise to see what a robust ministry of equipping the saints that Heritage has here. How in the gathering of God's people, we are continually being reminded of the gospel, continually being instructed to follow Jesus, to set our eyes on him, having faith stirred in our hearts continuously. I'm so thankful to be a part of that. And you know, I I kind of needed to be reminded that our investment here in the kingdom in terms of time and attention and resources, is actually doing something productive for the kingdom. Amen. Wasn't that a great reminder? And a healthy church communicates. It says, hey, look, this is what we're doing. This is what God has called us to. This is how we're accomplishing the mission that God has given us as a body of believers. Then in week two, Jeff taught us that a healthy church has healthy leadership. It was then that Jeff talked about some of the challenges that we face as a church. You know, when I first came to Heritage four years ago, it was a church of about 300 people total. There was still, I don't know if you guys remember, some of you have been around for a long time. There was green carpet in here. This wasn't like wood floor. And, you know, uh, the the sound system was like not stellar, (laughs) right? And, And we were still doing very... 
um, I think grassroots sort of sort of worship and ministry and uh, wonderful wonderful things. I mean, I, I love that season of growth, and yet at the same time, I look where God has continued to mature and grow us as a church, and I go, wow, look at what the Lord has done. Isn't it amazing? To see how God has continued to bless. And now the church has pretty much doubled in size since I first came on staff four years ago. And while it would be easy to point to the numbers and say, look at, look at all that God is doing and how great it is. And just be content with butts in the seat. We have to actually look deeper than that, don't we? And what we realize is that as the church has increased in size, our staff has stayed relatively small. And as a result, people that we love, people that we care about, and sometimes people we don't even know are slipping through the cracks because it's impossible for a team of four to five pastors to effectively shepherd a group of people this size. And so by God's grace, our tent borders are expanding. They're stretching out. We've added leadership. And it was in this teaching that, that Jeff um, showed, he, he, he displayed to you guys. I don't know, what am I trying to say? He, he, he demonstrated, hey, there's, there's some guys up here that want to lead, that have a heart to lead. We've gone through the press, process of, of praying We've gone through the process of, uh, of looking into their lives and getting a sense of who they are. They've all had to go through a, a formal interview with a board of directors who are elders. And, and we, we vetted to the best of our ability. And then he presented those people to you and we prayed over them. We prayed that God would continue to lead us in this direction. That he would provide shepherds for the people who are here at Heritage. And that began a a period of about 21 days where even right now their lives are being examined and we're looking at them from the perspective of, of you guys. You know them. You're in community with them. You're living with them. They are your bosses and your friends and people that you know. And we want to know, is what they say they are really what they are? Is this the truth about them? Before we put them into a position of leadership in the church, we want to know who they really are. And by God's grace, as we've continued down that pathway, we're seeing that God is adding to the leadership of heritage. Now with this shepherding board of elders, we will have 20 people who are in charge of caring for the souls here at Heritage, keeping track of those who are hurting, ministering to those within this body of believers who need extra pastoral care and attention. And that is a wonderful gift. For those of you that may have missed those names, you can go to the info table and there's a list, a small card with a list of those names. And that's so that you can both be praying and also so that you can give us feedback if there's something that we need to know about any one of those men. And so we've continued on now for three weeks. And in the third week of our Healthy Church series, Jeff said this, a healthy church has healthy members. Now, I have to admit, when we first began this discussion, I was skeptical of church membership. About two years ago, the idea was brought up, and I was like, man, I, I just don't know about this. 
I don't know that having, you know, an official list of members is going to be the thing that, like, helps our church out. I mean, in a sense, it creates two identities. This is my concern, right? It creates two identities. I'm, I, I was just a Christian. Now I'm, like, a serious Christian, right? And, and, and in some cases, it could even divide the church into sort of two classes, like the, the super-saved saints and the... Just barely, sort of safe saints, right? So I, I, I wrestled with it. I struggled with it. In my mind, I was afraid that members would be cast as super saints or non-members would be seen as the marginally committed. And as this conversation about membership began to unfold, I realized that though there are churches where the mentality does get adopted, where that mentality of, of two classes of people does get adopted, that really has to do with the heart of the leadership. It has to do with how we treat membership. And, and, and I realized there was sort of an error in my logic. My logic kind of went like this. Like, imagine for a moment, you go into a restaurant, and you walk in, it's, you know, Applebee's or Texas Roadhouse, whatever. You, you walk in, and there is a morbidly obese person. You know, he's 900 pounds. And, and there are 10 plates of food on the table. And he's just got his, ed, his face right up to the edge of the table, and he's just sort of like raking food. It's like a, like a scene out of Willy Wonka. And you look at him, you ask, oh man, there, there's a real lack of reverence for his body. This is not the way that God designed us to function. This is sinful. This is wrong. And then all of a sudden you say, and because I've seen this, I'll never eat again. See, that's bad logic, isn't it? I realized that that was the logic I was continuing in. Just because I've seen membership done wrongly doesn't mean that there's not a right and God-honoring way to do that. It's just a matter of the heart with which it's carried out and applied. It's just how we do this. In fact, when used properly, membership is a fantastic tool to encourage discipleship, to ensure pastoral care, to create communication between the leadership and the laity, to clarify the commitment to a local church and its leadership and its commitment towards the people. For those of you that may have missed that teaching, maybe you're kind of coming into this series a little bit late and you, you missed last week's teaching, I would encourage you, pick up a, a, a copy of our membership covenant. Take a look through it. See what it is that the leadership of heritage is committing to towards the body here. And what it is that we're asking of you as members of the body of Christ to commit to as well. And now, here we are at our last teaching. There's an extended review, right? Now we're here at the final one, and it's this. A healthy church has a healthy heart. As the leadership team at Heritage has talked through the steps that we're making right now, we recognize a potential problem. That is, in all of our attempts to organize and be excellent at serving Jesus, 
it's easy to make the church a business or, or, or a corporation rather than the body of Christ, rather than a church. So the question that sort of underlies all of this is how do we keep from losing our heart as a church? The reason that many of you have gathered here is because you see the heart with which this church operates. You see the love that we have for Jesus, the the desire to be centered in the gospel and to live that out, the deep commitment we have to to the scriptures, the push towards community and being connected and not being autonomous believers who I I have my own private relationship with the Lord. Weren't you baptized into the body of Christ? Were you connected by one spirit? Isn't there a communion of the saints? So we're pushing against that and pushing towards community and many of you have been drawn by that. Now how do we keep from losing that? How do we guard our hearts, as it says in Proverbs. Now, in thinking through this issue, it dawned on me how similar the applic- and applicable the function of the human heart is to the series that we've been doing. You know, even in man's fallen and imperfect condition, there is no disputing the fact that the human body is a miracle that science could never reproduce. No combination of geneticists or engineers or computer scientists could create a living being from the dust of the earth. Nobody can do that. You know, computers even, they they continue to become smaller and more powerful, but they cannot compare with the human brain. And what engineer could ever hope to produce a more durable and dependable pump than the human heart. This right here is the heart. It's the human heart. Now, it seems kind of simple. It's just this muscle. There's lots of tubes that kind of come into it and go out of it. But, but when you think about the reality of this, this pump that God has made, it's astounding. Let, let, let's think about the workings of the heart for a moment. It's nothing more than a pump. This one's an exceptionally large heart. I got the big one so that you guys could see, although it keeps having an issue. I got the big one so you could see it, right? But it's generally about the size of a fist. It's composed really of two pumps. There's, there's the left side, which is one pump, and then the right side, which is, a, which is another pump, Okay. Now, used blood comes in through the left ventricle, okay? And these, these veins, the veins are the ones that go to the heart, bring up used blood back to the heart. And as it comes in, it comes in uh, at the left ventricle and it gets pumped down into the bottom section of the, or excuse me, the right ventricle, uh, gets pumped back down into the bottom part of the heart. From there, it goes out into the pulmonary arteries that leave the heart that spreads it out to the two sides of your lungs carbon dioxide is then given off and oxygen is absorbed back back into the uh to the bloodstream and then it moves right back down into the other side of the heart now this heart this side of the heart the left side is 
way more powerful than the right side. And the reason is, is that this side of the heart has to pump exceptionally hard to get the blood to the extremities within the body. Now, if at any point one of these sides fail, the, the, the two pumps that are working together, one drawing used, discarded blood, if you will, drawing that into the, the heart and then pumping it out to the lungs where it can get rid of carbon dioxide and can get rid of, of uh, the, the things that need to be disposed of through the kidneys and through the liver and everything else. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then what happens is your health fails. And if, if the right side doesn't work, you're not bringing blood up to get oxygen. If the left side doesn't work, you're not getting oxygen to the rest of your body. Now, these two sides of the heart work in concert with one another. Boom, 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 boom. And there's an internal pacemaker that keeps this thing firing continuously. Now, that in itself is miraculous. Anybody seen your battery lately? You know where you even install those things? Can you pick a new one up at... Uh, by Mart? No. God miraculously, sovereignly made an 80-year battery that powers this vessel right here. Now consider how hard this little pump works over a lifetime. At an average rate of 70 beats per minute, the heart pumps 4,200 times per hour, 100,800 times a day, 36,792,000 times per year. Over a lifespan of 80 years, this heart will beat some 3 billion times. 3 billion times. And what's it made of? Flesh. If this thing doesn't work, the rest of your body suffers. If God didn't design this perfectly, you die. You perish. As long as the heart beats, the body lives. If it stops for more than three minutes, vital functions in the brain will be irreparably damaged. And the problem is that Heart disease, things like that, don't always give fair warning of onset. It's not always treatable by the time you notice that something is wrong. But there are some things that we know about the heart. And that health is, a, is important as it relates to the heart. That being fit is important as it relates to the heart. And we know that there's good and bad things that can happen with this, this little vessel here. Here we go. There's good and bad things that can happen. We can, over a, the long haul, do damage to our hearts by not caring for our bodies. When you're in your 20s, you, you can begin to stay up late at night and not sleep very much, not eating properly, 
not getting exercise, all these things affect the health of our heart. You know, um, heart disease in the United States is the number one killer in our country. About 610,000 people die of heart disease in the United States every year. That's one in four deaths. So 25% of the people in here, if statistics hold to be true, will suffer some sort of major heart issue that will result in their death. 25% of you. Coronary heart disease is the most common type of heart disease. It kills over 370,000 people per year. And now every year, there are about 735,000 Americans who have a heart attack. Of these, 525,000 are the first heart attack they've ever had. 210,000, the remaining, are, are ones who've had heart attacks before. As, as a matter of fact, I'd like to kind of show you something. Would, would you take a look at this graph here? This is a map of where heart disease is most prevalent in the United States. If, if you just look at something, I want you to, to see the red parts are the bad zone. Now, it's kind of pixelated. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, but you, you get the idea. See this area right here and this area over here? These are places where heart disease are most prevalent in the United States. Now, I, I want you to keep that image in your mind for just one second. And, and let's take a look at this next slide. Now, interestingly enough, we can begin to see some patterns as we look at other map data. For instance, this is a map composed by Gallup that shows states where religion is the most valued. States that are the darkest color hold to a higher religious value system. Do you see a pattern here? You see right over here? We have the same dark colors. Let's check out another map. Let's look at some more data. This map here shows the divorce rates for men in 2009. Again, areas where there is a higher percentage of divorce rates, where do you see those dark colors? Okay, well, let's look at women. How about that one? Where do you see those dark colors? Are you beginning to see a pattern here? What about this? Let's go to the next map. Here are two maps that depict the life expectancies for men and women across the country. If you're in the red zone, you are more likely to die at a younger age. Do you also see the same general areas of the country where there are issues? Let's go one more chart. This one's not a map. I just want you to see this. Here's a chart that shows us the usage of pornography across America. If you look at those top states right there, we've got Mississippi, Hawaii, Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia. It's the same states. It's the same place. It's interesting that the places that have the highest religious values have the most problems. The most problems. The states where the religion has the highest value also seem to have the worst problem. 
Now, while there's lots of other questions that we need to ask to be able to rightly interpret this data, we need to understand issues of correlation, how poverty interacts with this, and, and how, there's, how other things interact with this idea. But there's one thing that is clear. Attendance to church doesn't mean you are healthy. Doesn't mean that your heart is intact. If we're comparing it to heart disease, people in the church in the South, they don't even eat good. Their hearts physically are unhealthy, spiritually are unhealthy. So if a church calculates its health by the number of butts in seats, it will not have an accurate assessment of its health. To know whether or not we are healthy, we have to ask harder questions. Now here's the problem. We are really, really good at lying to ourselves. In order to assess whether or not your heart is healthy, you have to be honest with the test. It's not easy for us as people to face the things that are wrong with us. Don't you find that to be true? We don't like change. And and so having to face things that need to change in us is difficult for us to do. You know, the the funny thing is, is we essentially die from positivity. Isn't that funny? We're, we're, We're dying, we're perishing from being overly positive. We won't accurately assess what is happening in our hearts, what is happening in our lives. At some point, you have to stop telling yourself, hey, nothing's wrong. You're going to be okay. At some point, you have to say to yourself, you know, I, I don't exercise. I'm, uh, I'm 30 pounds overweight. I'm middle-aged. I, I, I eat steak every night. I do a lot of Netflix. I sit on the couch a ton. I sit at a desk during the day. I get winded when I get to the top of the stairs. I'm unhealthy. Something needs to change. I'm doing damage to my body. At some point, we have to be honest about where we're really at. It's not about It's not that diabetes and heart disease and obesity runs in your family. It's that no one (laughs) runs in your family. See, here's the issue, guys. If the heart dies, we die. This is why Proverbs tells us, guard your heart. Guard it. Now when the leadership at Heritage began to assess the health of our church, it became obvious that though there are plenty of positive things that are happening here at Heritage, there are some areas where we can improve and grow. The teaching for this last month, this sort of heart check series, the having a healthy church series, has been aimed at correcting some of those issues and addressing them. 
But how does a church keep the main thing the main thing? If the heart of a church is what continues to give life to the body that is present, if, if what motivates us, if what drives us is what dispenses life to the rest of the body, how do we keep the main thing the main thing? How do we keep the quest for efficiency from turning a church body into a business? How do we do that? I think the answer is threefold. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. 2 Corinthians is in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, after the book of Romans. Second Corinthians chapter 13, it says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope that you will find that we have not failed the test. Paul here talking to the Corinthian church, which was an unhealthy church. The whole first and second Corinthians letters were corrective letters. It was Paul saying, I love you, you've got a heart issue. I love you, you have a heart problem. It needs to be addressed. And at the end he says, test yourself. So how do we keep the heart of our church at heritage? Number one, A, if you're taking notes, through continued gospel-dependent heart assessment. We have to test ourselves. We have to test ourselves honestly. If our church is going to go beyond just being disease-free to actually attaining a measure of spiritual fitness, we have to monitor our health. As we look towards the future at Heritage, we will examine the work that we are doing to monitor areas where we need to change and grow. It's our hope that our focus on the gospel as as central to the Christian life will enable us to face the areas that need to change. And our our logic kind of looks like this. Since Jesus paid the debt for everything, And I no longer have to face the wrath of God. He's not angry with me. He's not disappointed with me. Since I don't have to fear God any longer, I can boldly face what is weak in me, what needs to be strengthened in me, what needs to change. Because we're not seeking to attain a righteousness on our own based upon how hard we work We can boldly then look at our hearts before the Lord and say, because there is no condemnation, God, fillet me open. Show me what is wrong. Examine me. Know me. Test me. This means that we are actively 
looking for areas that we can grow in dependence on Jesus as a church. It means we're looking for areas where we need to repent. If there are areas that we need to be strengthened as a church body, it is our aim to do all that we can to participate in God's desire to mold us and to shape us as a body of believers. How do we keep from losing our heart? Through a gospel-centered assessment of who we are. Second of all, second note, if you're writing these down, through gospel-centered nutrition. Now, being fit, a, a part of that, a component of that is, is proper nutrition, taking care of our bodies. I mean, if you run every day after biscuits and gravy, I don't know how productive you're being. <laughs> now, I like that lifestyle. It sounds amazing, but I'm not sure it's going to be good for your health. You have to add nutrition, right? So part of being fit means proper nutrition. What we take in affects our well-being. So, so, so for the next year, we are focusing on having a well-rounded diet here at the church. This means that we're looking at a, an extended season of, of just taking in the scriptures through chapter by chapter and verse by verse teaching as soon as this series is over. This is the, the last teaching of this series, which has been a topical series. We're going to move right back in to Ephesians, finish up the book of Ephesians. After that, guess where we're going? Philippians. We're going right into that. We're going to continue to faithfully teach the scriptures as simply as we can that we might be equipped and disciplined by the word of God. Now, in addition to that, there's lots of other areas where we'll be supplementing teaching. We plan on, on offering through the ministry at Heritage, a robust and well-rounded diet of truth for you to digest, for you to take in. And you are going to witness when you come week after week the leadership of Heritage not centering the teaching on themselves, but centering it in the word of God and coming under its authority. Because we recognize that men can go astray, right? But if those men will submit themselves to the word of God and come under its authority, we can keep our heart intact. So in addition to the, the main teaching times here at Heritage, there's a variety of other ways that the leaders want to encourage you in your spiritual growth. Um, we sat down as a staff, and uh, in the, this last fall we talked about the different areas of ministry, and, and Aaron, who has been a, a huge blessing to our church, gave us all a, an assessment tool where we could kind of look through our ministry assess what is, what is good, what is strong, the things that we're doing well, the things that are weak and need improvement, the things that need to, to change and grow and, and be molded by the Lord over the course of time and where we need to focus our energy. 
That was such a practical, great thing for us to do. As we did so, you know what we found? We found that there were several themes that were, were dominant with all of us, which is we need to get better at handing off leadership. The very same thing that we're struggling with at a corporate level, the whole church, we're also struggling with an individual level with, with, within smaller ministries from youth group to uh, worship ministry to uh, the women's Bible studies and the women's ministry. So we recognize the need to share with the body lots of opportunities for them to grow and stretch their wings. Jeff, this year, he said he'd like to focus on on training elders and training elders to train elders so that we can continue to nurture uh, leadership that is imparting leadership to the next generation. He even sent away an email survey in the last few months asking what areas um, our huddle groups would need to grow in. And so many of the, the leaders in our huddle groups and people who are participants, participants in our huddle groups, they've now been able to give feedback that says, hey, this is going well, we like this, but this is something that needs to change. This is a weak spot for us. This is an area where we need to grow. And we're assessing those things and trying to figure out how can we continue to do this better. He wants to grow and refine our huddle groups. He, he, he recognized a couple of trends. First of all, uh, people really like the curriculum, the gospel, or the explicit gospel that we're using right now. Are you guys, how many of you guys are plugged into a huddle group? Just raise your hand real quick. If you're plugged into a huddle group, excellent. How many of you guys are loving the curriculum? You, you, you like the teaching? That's, okay, less hands. Well, maybe. <laughs> That's really telling. Okay. Um, we're, we're finding that that seems to be hitting home with a lot of people. That we've had the most positive feedback about that. People also, though, they want, want some books to go through. Some tools for, for training. They want training on outreach and how to begin to engage the community around them. So those are all things that Jeff is working on this next year and, and addressing. He started up a Thursday Bible study, realizing that the men's ministry here has, has suffered. Now, for those of you, can, can I just, I want to interrupt, segue, hold on, stop, okay? Um, for some of you who are maybe not super grafted in here, this seems like a business meeting. And, and I want you to know we're going to come around at the end and we're going to deal with our hearts before the Lord. So, so stay with me, okay? Don't, don't lose track. As Jeff has really thought about his ministry, he said, okay, here's some things that I could do different, things, some things that I could change. I need to get the men together, get them fellowshipping, connected with one another. There's some things that need to change. Kathy recognized that she's, she has a desire to raise up a, a women's leadership team, provide monthly gatherings for the ladies here at the church so they have more opportunity not only to take in the word, but also to exercise their gifts with one another. Because it's not enough to just come and just be filled with teaching, Right? We also have to love one another, do all the one another's of Scripture, encourage, exhort, use the gifts that God has given us as we minister to others. So Kathy's recognized that she needs to foster that, wants to foster that over the next year. She's got two women's retreats planned for this year. 
And she's, and she's working on developing a generationally layered mentoring structure where, where um, the women of, of the, the women's ministry that are, that are part of the leadership team, they're working together at trying to establish older women who are mature and godly, discipling younger women, who are then taking what they learn and discipling younger women all the way down to teenage groups. That's the heart. Brent, he's really focused in on family discipleship, utilizing the Milestones program to to change the culture of family worship, to make it so that families aren't just worshiping here on Sundays. This is a lifestyle that we live together as a community of believers. Volunteers. He wants to uh, add value to the volunteers spiritually. A lot of times volunteers come in and they're um, just doing tasks, but, but Brent really sees a need to, to use their time here in such a way that they're also being nourished and cherished and spiritually nurtured. So he's developing videos to nurture volunteers on spiritual leadership. He's shepherding volunteers because he realizes that there is a disconnection. If you come and you volunteer regularly, a lot of times that leaves you outside of the service this time right here. So he's making a real attempt to, to get plugged in with them. Mitch is, is doing wonderful things in the junior high. He's developing a pool of about eight people that will be um, there continuously to help foster discussion among the young people in our junior high and get them not just listening to teachings, but digesting it and and debating it and even arguing with it so that they can grow as disciples. He's been building deep relationships with junior high kids and their parents, meeting with dads of junior hires and their junior high student to spend time with them and get to know them, to be invested in their lives. We could go through all of the staff Sam has goals. Aaron has goals. I have goals. We're all looking at this and we're saying, okay, as we assess the needs of our church, what are we going to do about it? How will we give them a nutritional, spiritual diet? How can we foster in them a heart that loves Jesus? So, how? How will we keep our heart? Through gospel-centered nutrition. Preaching the gospel in a variety of ways over and over and over again through every leg and vein and artery that God has given us. And thirdly, how will we keep our heart? Through gospel-motivated exercise. Gospel-motivated exercise. We, we recognize that an essential part of, spiritual, of being spiritually fit is finding ways to connect truth with action. It's one thing for us as Christians to talk about worship. It's quite another for us to actually be worshiping. It is one thing for us as Christians to take in teachings about loving our neighbor. It is quite another for us to actually know their names. Meet them. Talk to them. Demonstrate love to them. Reach out to them. It's one thing for us as Christians to get fired up about injustice in the world. It is quite another to put our hands to the plow and begin to actually do something 
about it. You see, here's the thing. The leadership here at Heritage actually believes that the goal of all our teaching and all of our work as the saints gather is to equip you, to equip you to live out the realities of God's kingdom in everyday life. We believe that the gospel demonstrates to us that because Jesus actually rose from the dead, and since he's actually physically coming again, that we have work to do as members of the kingdom of God. The Great Commission was an actual command that Jesus gave to his people. It's not just a a fine theological point for us to pontificate and think about and discuss together. It's a command to God's people to go out into the world and further his kingdom. The idea that the church is to be a light that cannot be hid, that it's supposed to be like a city on a hill, is not just a poetic expression, but a reality that we are to fight for. You think about about the, the analogy that Jesus is using. He says, listen, if you take a lamp, in those days, a light, a lamp, was an oil lamp, right? It had a, like a little thing. You think Aladdin, right? You're thinking of Aladdin? And you, you got the little hook on it, right? And on the other end is a flame that comes up and it, it lights up the room. That's what they would use, an oil lamp. He says, what happens if you hide a lamp, a light, under a bushel or a, a woven basket? What happens? Basket catches on fire. What happens if you hide it under your bed? Their beds were made of straw. What happens if you hide your lamp under your bed? The house is on fire. He says, listen, you guys are supposed to be like a city on a hill. Like a lamp. You you try to stuff it. You try to hide the light of Jesus. But it is just burning out of you. You can't stop it. That's what it's supposed to be like. And we believe that these are realities for the church, not theological fine points. So in the next year, here's what we promise to do. We will challenge you as a church. We're going to challenge you to not be constipated Christians. We won't let you be the kind of people that are professional attendees. We will invite you to participate in community. We will press you to pray. We will encourage you to step into your community and do something with God's love. Because we love you, we refuse to let you become obese Christians who take in all the quality teaching of God's word continually and never actually do something with it. We want you to take in God's word so you can live it out. So this, this is how we will continue to guard the heart of heritage through continued gospel-dependent assessment, through gospel-centered nutrition, and through gospel-motivated exercise where we will challenge you not just to hear the word of God, but to actually do something with it. Now, now let's switch gears a little. Let's go from talking about us as a church body to, to thinking about us as individuals. Hey, when, when's the last time you, little, you had a little heart checkup? 
I'd like to close our time by taking just a few minutes to assess our individual spiritual health. Now, it can be difficult to do because oftentimes these kinds of tests end up being about, um, you know, works stuff. How do I know I'm spiritually healthy? Well, are you reading your Bible? Uh, Do you go to church? Um, You know, how often do you pray? Okay, we can do all of those things and not be spiritually healthy doesn't require anything from us. We can go through the motions of activity and never be connected to God whatsoever. So what kind of questions do we have to ask? We have to come up with some questions that that are aimed more at the heart. So let's take a moment right now. Listen, if you've been tuned out, if you're like, okay, this is all business stuff. It's vision casting for the church. And, you know, you've you've been kind of checked out. Come back in for just a moment and and, and hear this. I want you right now in the quietness of your own heart and in your mind, I want you to honestly ask these questions of yourself. Be honest. Be brutally honest with yourself. Knowing that the gospel means that we can face the truth without fear, let's examine our hearts together. So just quietly Right now, would you just offer up a prayer to God from where you're sitting? Just offer up a prayer. Lord, search me. Right now. In the quietness of your heart, Lord, search me. Know me. Show me what's in me. And let's ask these questions. Do you relate to God more like a father or a boss? Do you relate to God more like a father or do you relate to him like he's a boss? You're just going to do the minimum of what he requires because you just want to avoid getting in trouble. Do, do you, how do you respond to conviction? Is it willingly? Or, or do you resist? When, when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just... Tells you, you know, that was ugly. Don't, don't do that. Hey, that's something that needs to change. You need to repent of that. How do you respond? Lord, I, I love you. Okay, if you're asking this of me, this is something I need to think about. This is something I need to address. Or is there resistance? Do you resist the authority of God in your life? Do you resist the rule of the Holy Spirit over you? Do you? Do you love to pray? I'm not asking how often do you pray. Do you love to pray? Do you love to to share your heart with God? To spend time pouring out what is on the inside of you to Him? Do 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 you long for moments where you just get lost in talking to God? And you lose track of time and you've just been there just sort of blabbing your face off to the Lord. How often are you drawn into personal and private worship at the awe of God? You know those moments? You're driving to work and a sunrise or a sunset just absolutely wows you. And you're just like, this is so magnificent. 
And, and out of nowhere, out of just who you are in the Lord, erupts just worship to God for who he is and for what he's done. Oh, Lord, my God, when I an awesome wonder, just begin to sing out to the Lord. When, are, there, are those moments when you, you're there with your family and your, your son or your daughter crawls up on your lap and they, they squeeze you and they express their love to you? And you find yourself just amazed at the grace of God in your life at giving you kids that will love you in this way. Family. Outside of church, how often are you drawn into worship because of the awe of God? Is there any area of your heart where, are you, where you are running from God's will right now? Here's how you know. As soon as I asked that question, you said, in your mind, not that one. Don't put your finger on that. If you immediately jump to some sort of rationalization, of, well, it's okay that I'm running from God in this because I have this reason, then you are running from God. You're resisting his will. Is, is, there, is there something like that in your life? Are spiritual disciplines a duty to you or a delight? I'm not asking how good you are at them. I'm asking you, do you love them? Do you love drawing near to God? Through his word, through prayer, through, through fasting and through silence and solitude, through meditation. Do you, do you love that? Or is it like doing the laundry or, or having to tackle the dishes? Oh, it's been a while. I guess I better do the maintenance. Last question. If today was the day your life was assessed before the Lord... Just all of a sudden, right now, something happens and you're standing before the Lord at this very moment. What thing would you want to hide from in your life? What would you feel ashamed of? All these questions are aimed right at the heart of who we are. This, this, this gets down to the core of, of whether or not we actually love the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people. This, this last week, actually, I was on the phone with somebody, and, and I, I'm asking them, okay, well, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. Um, my understanding is that you, you, you're not a Christian. And they said to me, well, I don't, I don't know where you got that. that that's not true. I, I am a Christian. I'm just not one of those Christians who checks their brain at the door. Like, okay, all right, I, I get that. I do understand that. And then they went on to express that they, they don't like to pray. They don't like to talk to God. They don't like to spend time with Him. They're actually afraid of Him. Hey guys, I, I just want to remind you of something. 
Satan believes in God. He believes more surely than you and I do. He has more faith than any one of us. He believes. The demons at the name of God fear and they tremble. Okay? That doesn't make you a believer. That doesn't make your heart healthy. Okay? Here's the difference. Satan does not long to be close to God. He does not love God. Demons do not love God. They do not worship God. They do not want to be with God. So how'd you do? How'd you do in this test? I think we generally know the answers that we're supposed to have, but what is honest? What's honest today? How did you really do? What do you need to repent of today? What action do you need to take to change? Before we leave, I want to give you three final exhortations about how to nurture your spiritual fitness. So the question is, okay, I I flunked your test, Jeremy. I flunked the questions that you brought up. So now what do I do? How do I get back on track? How do I nurture spiritual well-being? How do I nurture spiritual health? Three things. First of all, abide like a branch. Abide like a branch. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, listen. If you do one thing today, if you do one thing, do this. Read these verses. Just go back and read them. John 15, verses 1 through 11, he says this. He says, abide in me. He says, I'm I'm the vine. You, the church, are the branches. If you stay plugged into me, you abide, you're stuck to me, you love being with me, you're hanging on to me, you're connected to me. You will bear fruit, much fruit. If you get disconnected, you're going to die. Your heart will die. You will be spiritually malnourished. And the heart of who you, will, who you are will perish. And he says, I'm, I'm telling you this so that your joy might be full. That's why I want you to stay connected to me. Second of all, train like an athlete. Train like an athlete. I got to read this one too because it's just so fantastic. I want to read them all, but I'm I'm afraid I'm just going to keep you guys here forever. Um, But I want to read this one to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, it says this. Do you not all, or do you not know that in a, a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So 
I, I do not run aimlessly. I, I do not box as one who's just beating the air. But I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He says, train like an athlete. Train like, run like you're going to win. Train like an athlete. Hey, if you have fallen into a season of spiritual lethargy and laziness, get your butt up off the couch. Do something different. If you are distant from God, here's a promise that you can bank on. This is what he says. Ready? If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. That's a promise. Train. Discipline yourself. Engage. Abide. Thirdly, fight like a warrior. Fight like a warrior. Of course, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll get there in a, a little bit. He's talking about spiritual warfare, and he says to open that passage on spiritual warfare, he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual authorities and the forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Third thing. Hey, have you just been getting your butt kicked recently? Have you just been taking a thrashing? You've been getting beat you're in, in a place right now where you're disconnected from God and, and you're beat up by life and you're, you're tired and you're weary and, and you're just battle-worn. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Fight! Fight like you're in a war. Fight like your life depends on it. Fight! Don't lay down. Don't stand down. Engage. Get a hold of your heart. Grab a hold of the Lord. Get in community. Link arms with brothers and sisters and say, guys, I I am wrestling. I am down for the count right now. I am struggling. Don't just fade off into the distance. Don't just lay there and wait to breathe your last. Get up. Suit up. And fight like a warrior. Family at Heritage. I want you to know this is the heart of our leadership. We're going to fight to keep our heart. We don't want to become a big business. We don't want to become the next megachurch corporation. 
We want to do ministry really well for the glory of God and for the honor of his kingdom. And we want to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. If you are right now in a season where you're just weary and tired, I'm going to ask the elders, um, not the ones in training, not the ones who have not yet been appointed yet, but the elders who are currently present, to go to the back of the room and just make themselves available to pray with you. If you're in a season where you're just weary, today's your day. Go back, be prayed for, be encouraged, be strengthened. If you've been in a season of just lethargy and laziness, let's not just hear the word of God and do nothing with it. Let's not be like the man who looks in the mirror, he sees he's got like fur on his teeth and you know, he's got crusty white stuff on the side of his mouth and eye boogers and the whole deal. And, and then he walks away and does nothing about his appearance. Let's be those who look into the perfect word of God. We see who we are in the face of it and we make changes. Amen? Lord, bless your people strengthen and encourage them today. I pray, Father, that we would be a spiritually healthy, well-nourished church, that we would have a healthy heart. Help us to guard that heart. We know, Lord, that from our hearts flow all the issues of life. May we do all that we can to strengthen it. May we partner with you in being those that are trained who are abiding, and who are fighting. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.